0: morning. How are you guys doing? Happy Father's Day to those of you who it's um, appropriate. Um, It's good to be here. Amen? Amen. Good. Good to see you guys. Hey, uh, we're going to start out just for fun. This morning a little bit different than we have in the past maybe, but I am, um, you know, it's summer here in Rhode Island, even though this morning it's starting to look a little bit more like summer, right? So we're good, um, but uh, here in Rhode Island, uh, I'm going to we're going to play some statistic kind of trivia, okay? And so I'm going to throw out a number, and see if you guys know what I'm talking about. It has something to do with Rhode Island, and uh, see how you guys do. I, the first service, they did pretty good, so the pressure's on. Just letting you know. So if I said just over a million, you might say population. population. What, what do we hear? Do we have something other than population? I heard a couple of other ideas. No? I'm wondering what other millions there are. <laughs> What's that? Dollars. Dollars? Okay. That's our budget? You have potholes? <laughs> there you go. Everybody's in agreement on that one. Okay, what if I said just over 1,000? Okay, that's actually the square miles that we have in the state. OK, so but because of that, I mean, think about it. We have just over a million people, just over a thousand square miles, which means that we have just over a thousand people in each square mile. Yeah, we, we are one of the most uh, packed states there is. Did you guys know that? New Jersey beats us, but that's about it. So um, and who cares? It's New Jersey. So I'm sorry if you're from New Jersey. Yeah, <laughs> We're online now, so I have to be careful, I guess. Um. The other thing that I, uh, uh, interestingly enough, I didn't know if you, but over, just over 1,000, that's also how many Dunkin' Donuts are in every square mile, too. <laughs> didn't know if you knew that one. Okay, 40. 40 towns, no, nope. 30, 39 municipalities, so close. But 40 is actually miles of coastline. Did you guys know that? On the ocean. 400. 400 is how many miles of shoreline we actually have. Isn't that Interesting. 40 miles of coastline, but 400 miles of shoreline. And how that breaks down, if you take the million people plus that we have, and you have 400 miles of shoreline, you know what that means? Each of us gets two feet of shoreline. <laughs> Which really explains why we're so content with Rhode Island because you know we may be packed in here, but at least we each get two feet of shoreline, right? So we can go out there and kind of decompress every once in a while. Okay, here's the big number though. 20 to 25 million. That's how many tourists show up in Rhode Island every year, okay? Which kind of explains our summer, doesn't it, right? So here we are, we're going through the year, and we're packed in this place, but we have our two feet of shoreline, so we're good to go, because we can get away, and we can kind of just kind of decompress a little bit, but all of a sudden, comes the summertime, and you have all of a sudden 20 million tourists coming because they seem to all come at once, don't they? And it's in the summertime, and all of a sudden, your two feet of shoreline, what does that do to it? It takes it down to you got an inch. And isn't that the summer in Rhode Island, right? Instead of your two feet of shoreline, suddenly you have your inch on the beach. So um, welcome to Rhode Island, right? Welcome to the summertime. It's good. Hey, uh, our story this morning, uh, it also takes place along a shoreline. It takes place along a beach. Um, so our story is Israel was taking a much-needed getaway right? Because uh, they they'd spent like the last several hundred years in slavery. So they needed to get away. So God broke them out. They're on their way down there. They're all excited about it. Um, they're moving quickly because they're a little bit afraid that if they turn around or slow down, that the Pharaoh's going to kind of change his mind and maybe come try to take them back into slavery. And so um, God tells him to go and to camp out along the Red Sea. And it's kind of odd because he tells them to, they've, they've gone a little bit further. And he says, no, come back a little bit and camp by the Red Sea. And so they, um, they do that. And this is where the, we pick them up in the story. It's in Exodus chapter 14. So if you would stand with me and we're going to read this account in Exodus chapter 14, 1 through 2, 5 through 9. And then we're gonna jump to 21 and 22. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the people of Israel to go back and camp by the sea at Pihirith between Migdol and the sea opposite of Balzaphon. And so they did. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had actually left with everything, he and his servants had a change of heart. And they said, what have we done? We've let our slaves go. So he got his chariot ready and he took his army with him, taking a hundred or 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he chased after the people of Israel as they were leaving with great enthusiasm. (laughs) I bet. And the Egyptians chased after them with all their horses, the chariots, the horsemen, and the army of Pharaoh, and they overtook them camping by the sea beside opposite baal just where God had told them to camp out. So the people are just starting to get this idea, right? That they might be making it. They they might get away with this escape plan. And they look over the horizon. They see the army of of Egypt coming. And so they start freaking out. And uh, Moses calms them down. But then God tells Moses his plan. He says, this is what I want you to do. And so that's where we get to verse 20 and 21 or 21 and 22, and it says, so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so that the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went through the middle of the sea on dry land and the waters were like a wall on the right and on their left. So one of the most terrifying campouts ever, Right? becomes one of the most amazing rescue stories ever. And why? Because with God regularly, and I want you to hear this, with God regularly, he, play, he turns our places of danger, right? Into places of deliverance. He turns our places of danger into places of deliverance. Today's message is titled Dangerous Coastlines. Father, we want to ask that you would be here and be speaking to us, because I know that there are some of us that are feeling like we're in that kind of a spot. It was dangerous enough to come down to this coastline. We don't really like it down there anyway, but all of a sudden we're trapped between a rock and a hard place. We're between an army and an ocean, and, and we're not sure what to do about it. But Father, you are the God who takes the places of most danger, the most outrageous, unworkable situations, and you change them into the place of your salvation, the place of your deliverance in our life. And so Father, we ask that you would meet us here and that you would speak to us. Our our hearts are open, our eyes and our ears are open to you. So we pray that your spirit would be speaking and taking this word and taking this message and be using it to change our our minds and change our perspectives and change our hearts. Change us into the people that you intended us to be. Change us into those type of people that can grab hold of that life that you meant for us to have That we can become those people you need us to be and through us you can also make this world into the place that you always intended it to be. So Father, come and set this, this space apart for your work. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. You can have a seat. So question, have you ever been stopped? going, well, that's a pretty big question, right? I mean, how many of you guys have ever been stuck in traffic? Oh, been stuck in traffic. How many of you guys remember back in high school and you got stuck in a math problem? Oh, yeah, been stuck in a math problem, right? So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to be stuck. I remember when I was a kid, I was always getting stuck. And the reason I was getting stuck was because there were places I used to be able to fit, but then I grew, I changed, and I tried to get back in those places and I'd get stuck. Right, So I remember I used to be able to fit in that box. Right, I used to be able to fit in that space up in the attic. I remember I used to fit through those fence posts, but all of a sudden you try it and it doesn't work anymore. I mean, I know that all of you guys, or I'm guessing that if not all of you, most of you had a friend in junior high or high school, and you went down to the park at some point with your friends, and somebody said, hey, I think it'd be fun to swing in one of those little baby seat swings, right? And so they got their legs through there, Right, And that went okay, and they swang, and they were like, this is funny. And then it was all funny until they tried to get out, right? Because they were stuck. That's really stuck. So yeah, there's different ways we've been stuck. But what about stuck in life? What about stuck in like a relationship that really is, is not just not going anywhere, but it's, it's, it's unhealthy? You've been stuck in one of those? How about stuck in a job that, that seems to have just kind of plateaued out? Or maybe it's something a little bit more internal than that. Maybe it's, it's that you're stuck because you're trying to change a habit. And it just doesn't seem to, you can't get a grip on it. Maybe you're trying to, to get a handle on your anger, or you're trying to pay attention to other people more than you do. Or maybe it's something like anxiety or fear And the more that you try and overcome this thing, the more you find it just has a grip on you and it doesn't seem to want to let go. So the question is, what do we do? What can we do when we're stuck like that? Right, because that's everyday life. That's where we live. See, what can we do when we're stuck like that? Well, Israel was stuck, weren't they? They had So hundreds of years before this camp out by the Red Sea happened, They had made their way as a, a, it was just a large family at that time, turned into a nation, but they had made their way down to Egypt. And at the time, it looked like a pretty good idea. It looked like a pretty good situation. But then something had changed while they were there. Something had had twisted and it kind of went south. And so all of a sudden, instead of this being a place of safety and a place where they had almost like this preferred status where they could raise their families and their kids could grow up and they could, instead, all of a sudden they were, A nation of slaves. They had been taken in as part of just this massive, this massive kind of slave culture within the kingdom of Egypt, and then they were stuck. They couldn't get out, and so the problem with this stuck is that this stuckness was it was killing them. It wasn't just killing them in the ways that we think, you know. It wasn't just killing them physically or killing them emotionally or mentally. This was killing them spiritually because God, years before, he had said, you know what, I am calling you as a nation to be something special in this earth. I'm calling you to be something unlike any other nation. I'm going to bless you so that you can turn around and you can be a blessing to all the other nations of the world. He said, you know what, I'm actually going to show my glory through you to this world but over the years and then over the decades and over the over the centuries of captivity, that dream had kind of been crushed and it was dying. That calling was just being shut down. And they started believing that now maybe they were just, they were less and less, they started looking less and less like God's blessing of the world. They started looking more and more like just this, this part of this captive kind of this part of this slave culture of Egypt, nothing more, nothing less. And so you started seeing them. It was like they were destined just to fade off into history without anybody paying any attention to them. And they were fading. With each passing generation, each passing day, they were becoming less and less like Israel, and they were becoming more and more just like Egypt, and not just Egypt, but more like, more like slaves of Egypt. And so they were taking on the beliefs of Egypt and the look of Egypt and the, the habits of Egypt and the, the, the wants and desires of Egypt. Even their own, their dreams and their, their, their hopes for the future, they started being shaped by, instead of this calling, they started being shaped by this situation, the circumstance that they were stuck in. And so instead of thinking about things like freedom and about things like impact and significance and purpose in this world, instead they were thinking things like, I hope I can just maybe get through a day with a few less whips, right? I hope I can just get through this day with maybe, maybe a little bit more straw so I can make some bricks that don't fall apart. And I don't have to redo them. These are pretty low-level dreams, You know, given what God had said about him and what he had called him to be, but that's what slavery does. That's what stuckness does. And they become these, they identified their identity was all wrapped up in the stuckness. And so... What it came to was even that their prayers, their prayers got to the point that all that they were praying, they were praying more about whips and more about straw and bricks. And they were praying about this calling. They were praying about this glorious purpose for which they had been created. I want you guys to think about that because I think that a lot of times we're in that kind of a place. We completely forget what God has called us to be, what he has spoken over us and called us into. And it doesn't matter. I mean, if you go back to just the very beginnings of it and you think, I mean, all of us who were created in God's image to reflect his glory, all of us who were created to be his friends and to be called as his children into his family, all of us who were, who were created to live these significant, these meaningful, these impactful lives and accomplish meaningful work on this earth. All of us. But then, then you, you might even go past that. You might go to that next step and you say, that you, know, you find that you're, you're one of those who actually, you've been born anew into the purposes of God. You've been been created into this new creature by the spirit of, of God. You've been transformed into the image of Christ. So you are a child of God. And you are, you're an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. You are a representative of Jesus Christ himself. And yet sometimes we look at our lives and we're like, we're still stuck. We go, what happened there? We still appear to be stuck in this world. We still appear to be serving the purposes of this world only. We still seem to have our dreams and our prayers shaped by just these, these trivial type of things that we might that we might go through this world a little bit less suffering each day that we might have just a little bit more a little bit more of the resources we need to make whatever brick it is that we happen to be making for whatever corporation, whatever cause that we're making those bricks for. But we've forgotten, we've lost sight of, and it seems like we too are destined to just kind of fade off into nothing. And our highest dreams and hope become those that are framed by those who seem to be stuck, stuck as slaves. And we say, what can we do when we get stuck like that? Right? Well, the truth is, is that when we're stuck like that for that long, a lot of times we can't do anything. The reason we can't do anything or we won't do anything because we sometimes don't even need to know that something needs to be done. When you've been in that, that type of a position for hundreds of years, you forget that there was anything before. You forget that there was any other kind of identity or any other kind of calling that God might have on your life because that's all you've known. And so you say, what What can we do? Sometimes we can't do anything, but that's when God steps in and he says, that's when he says, I'm, I have to do something. This is not what I created them for. That's not what I, I, that wasn't my purpose for them. My intention for them were not these things. So he says, that's where God gets up and he does something. And so what does he do? Well, we learn from this story, he does several things. The first thing he does is he sends his prophet, right? And this prophet comes. So sure, he pulls Moses out of it and he trains them all up. And then 40 years later, he sends him back. And he says, I'm gonna send you back into it. He sends his prophet. So he sent prophet to Pharaoh. So Moses goes to Pharaoh, but he also is going to Israel. Why? Because they need to remember who they're called to be. If God's going to rescue them, it's not just that he's gonna shut Pharaoh down, but he has to have them stirred up to remember who they were. And so he sends his prophet. Now, question for us is this. Have you ever had someone that comes into your life who just irritates the tar out of you because they won't let you let you rest in who you presently are, but they keep saying, you know what, there's more. And you gotta push into it. Have you ever had somebody like that? It may have been, you know, parents are like that a lot, right? It's like, oh yeah, great, great job in biology, right? That's a C C+, good job. But do you think you could get a B minus, maybe? Do you think? I just I just know, and it's not, it's not berating. I mean, some parents are just, they're trying to encourage because they see something in you that's just a little bit more than you're seeing of yourself. It's a very prophetic word. They're, they're friends that are like that. And they can be encouraging, but man, are they irritating, aren't they? Because they won't let you rest. It's like, I just want to sit in my basement and play my video games. What are you saying? There's more to life than this. Just leave me. No, don't you understand God's calling? And so first God sends his prophets. He sends his prophets to remind us that we're not called to what we see. We are called to something so much more than what we see in us. They remind us that we're not called to be slaves to this, to this world, to the dreams and the purposes of this world. Do you remember last week we talked about that God has created us to be those who go into the very the very crazy, chaotic spaces and he uses us to shape chaos into order, into meaning, into life. God has called us to be those who, who shape history or not just shaped by it, that we're those who create purpose and create those places of purpose and meaning in his power. And so prophets are those who just irritate us, won't let us quit until we grab hold of that, until we're pressing into what God has actually called us to be. So here comes Moses, and Moses, he's stirring up Israel. So they remember who they're called to be, but at the same time, he's also talking to Pharaoh and the powers that be to let them know that you know what, God is setting his kids free right now. It's gonna happen, just letting you know just warning you. You can hold on as tight as you want, but God's gonna do it. So who are those people that God has sent his prophets into your life? Be glad they're there. Sure, they're irritating, but they're reminding you of something really important. God has called you for so much more than what you're settling for. He hasn't called you to be a slave in this world. He has called you to change this world And to be used by him to transform it. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your age, your stage in life, your, your situation, the resources that you have. It doesn't matter. So who are the prophets in your life? Be glad they're there because they do two things for you. One, they keep calling you. They keep stirring you up to that calling that God has on your life. But two, because they are reminding you that God is at work setting you free. He's getting you unstuck. Second, God sends Moses, but then he also works this work. He, he breaks us out of the slavery, out of the stuckness that we're in. He, he does it, right? And so you, you read this story uh, of, of Israel in Egypt, and, and one of the things that happens when he works this is it says that he, he gives us this glimpse of his power, but also of his persistence towards us, right? He gives us this glimpse that, he's not gonna, that, that of how much power he has, but also that he is not going to quit until he breaks us free. And so in the story of, of Israel, we see that God sends wave after wave of these, these plagues against Egypt. And they come crashing against Egypt and, and against the gods that they worship. And, and they're there to remind the Egyptians to say, there is only one God. There's only one. And it's not all yours. And so he comes against him and the, the, the stronger they try and hold out against him, it just bulls over him. It just, just blows the, the, the gods out of the way until Egypt is just laying down and they're, just, they're stunned because all of their greatest gods couldn't stand up against this one god in the New Testament, we read about Jesus doing the same type of thing where he, he takes out sin and he takes out death and he takes out sickness and sorrow and he takes out the, all the powers of this world, the, the demons and the, the, he takes all of it out so that there's only one standing, so that no one would have any question about who is the one God and that we would see that there's no, there's no future and trying to set up and try and gain status or place or safety in this system over here is falling apart. He says he does that every, every time, but the problem with that is that is a really scary time, isn't it? It's a really scary time when your whole world, everything that you have known that gave structure and gave you a sense of kind of the safety and gave you definition to what life is about or what you should be aiming at, that all of that starts falling around you. That's a scary time. So the question for us is, you know, is there something going on in your life right now that you might find that everything is falling around you, that you thought was so important to keep you on track, to keep you kind of in a safe place? Because it may be that God is trying to break you out of all that was so he can break you into all that can be in Christ. Because the two can't stay together. You can't have Egypt intact and have freedom for God's people. You can't have it. But that's a scary time, isn't it? But could it be that God is is breaking down the very structures that give you the sense of safety and the sense of definition so that you can know, that you can find, that you can remember that calling that he had for you? So he sends his prophets, and they're irritating. And then he sends this, this cataclysm, and it's, it's just, it's horrendous, it's terrifying at times. But then God takes them to the sea. You go, why did you take them to the sea? I mean, why, why this terrifying campout that they got to go on, right? What a terrible day that was. You get to go down, and you know, if you, we talked about this last week, but this, The one thing that the Israelites probably hated worse than a marauding bunch of Egyptian warriors was the ocean. They were terrified of it. It was this big chaotic thing they didn't understand and they weren't good swimmers or something, but they didn't like it at all. So they look at his army coming over the hill and they're going, that's terrible. And they look at the ocean that God said, I want you to camp right there. And they're going, that's terrible, thanks. Right? Right? And they, actually, that, that, that sea thing was even worse. They're going, that's, that's the worst of the two. I can see going back to Egypt. I can't see going into the ocean at all. But God brings us there to the sea. We say, why? And I, want you to, I want you to listen to this, and I, want you to, I just want to ask you a question. Isn't it true... That when we are stuck, it may be a habit, it may be, a, it may be a, a, a relationship, it may be whatever it is, we're stuck. We're stuck in our life. Isn't it true that there are those days that sometimes we feel like, for whatever reason, right, this thing just kind of let up just a little bit? We feel a little bit better. I'm not feeling like I'm as, I've been as angry lately as I used to be. I'm not feeling like I feel like I'm paying a little bit more attention to other people. And we say, I feel a little bit freer than I was, and it feels really good to feel a little bit freer. But isn't it true that that thing it does not let us go? In fact, you're almost sure that, like the pharaoh, is going to wake up one day and is going to go, "What did we just do? We just let them go? You got to be kidding! Get the chariots! We're going to get we're going to haul them back here because they're going to stay stuck forever. They're ours." What are we doing letting our slaves go? And there are those times that you feel like your greatest fear or your greatest, just that, that, that depression or that anxiety, or whatever it is that has that kind of grip on you, you feel like it might have loosened up a little bit, but all of a sudden there are those days it just comes back with a vengeance and takes you back home. And God knows that. And he knows that He didn't come to just free Israel up a little bit. He came to set them free. And so he brings them down to this place that actually, we're gonna find out why, but he brings them down to this place that they have a greater fear of this sea than they ever had of, of Egypt. But they have this greater respect, this greater kind of just dread almost of this unknown thing than they do of Egypt. And he brings them there very specifically because he's going to break them free, not just from a temporary kind of fear of Egypt, but for, from that fear for all time. Because one of the things that we find in this story, and we find in our own lives as well, right, is that the fear of Egypt is not just something that comes from the outside. It's not just because of the power they have over us, but it is because of the power that they actually have within us. And God is not just interested in setting us free from the power from without and that fear, but from the power that comes from within. You read the next verse in this story after after verse nine, and it says, you know, the people of Israel is sitting there. You know, one of the things that God has shown himself already, God has shown up in their midst as this this pillar, this huge pillar of fire that would show up at night and this pillar of cloud that would give them shade and during the day. So God has shown up kind of in this fear where he's, he's made his presence known as this pillar of fire. And so they're sitting there at the sea and they're literally looking just past the pillar of fire and watching the Egyptians come over the, the, um, come over the horizon. And it says, and they were terrified. They're terrified of these Egyptians. They show that they, they still believe that the Egyptians, they believe in the power of Egypt Far more than they do in the power of God who's sitting there is a pillar of fire. But what are they scared of? They look past it and they go, oh no, the Egyptians are coming. Past the pillar of fire. And they look back behind them and they go, oh no, there's an ocean behind us and there's an army over here. And they go, God could you get out of the way so I can see it a little bit clearer. God says, you know what? He's not here just to... Free us from our circumstances or these habits and these old ways, you know, just so we'll fall back into them. He wants to change our heart and our perspective and our minds so that there is no dread in our life other than our fear of God Himself. And I don't mean a fear like we're terrified, but there is no other thing we respect to such a degree that we would look at it and say, if I'm staring right at God and I say, oh no, but I'm really worried about this thing. He says, I'm not gonna stop until there's one, there's one fear in your life and that is the fear of God. And that there is not, there's, there's no other attachment that you have other than to me. So I want to save you from the fear that comes from without, but I also want to f- save you from that fear that comes from within. Because you have been shaped in a wrong way. You've been, your fears, your, your dreads, your, your perspectives have been shaped in a wrong way. So I am here to save you. So he brings us to this place of incredible looking danger so that he can work this amazing deliverance in us. You guys, we show that all the time, don't we? Where we we go to God and we but then we waffle back and forth between our allegiance to God and uh, this, our belief that maybe you know maybe this world really does have something for me. Maybe this world does have something that I should invest in. Maybe should, I should be a little bit more concerned about what I'm losing in this world rather than what I'm losing with him. It just shows that that thing is still within us. It has to be changed, so he brings us to the sea, just like he brought them to the sea, to this thing that is bigger and more terrible. Why? Because this thing, and they know it. I mean, the ocean, that's, that's big enough to, to ruin everybody. They knew the stories that they had been told since they, were, you know, since they were little about how chaos is what shaped I mean, it was out of chaos that God basically rescued and created the world, that, that the flood came and the chaos came back and just wiped out everybody. They knew how big this thing was that they were facing. And in that moment, you know what God does? He doesn't just shut down Egypt. He could have done that. He could have hail or whatever. He didn't just shut down. He turns and he splits open the sea. And in that moment, the people of Israel, are, are, that shift happens. that God knows has to happen in our hearts and in our minds because all of a sudden they look and they go, what? I mean, there were a lot of other gods that had taken on Egypt before and done okay. Right? There were a lot of other nations that had come up and beat Egypt in battles. And so that that was pretty impressive to have a God like that. But there was no other God that had ever looked at the ocean and said, I'm I'm just gonna open it up and let my people walk right through it. Never a God had done that. There would never be a God that would ever do that again. And all of a sudden the people of Israel go, he's the God who is over the ocean, the sea itself? That's when they they realize, we don't have to worry about Egypt. When that shift happens and God said that his redemption is not that he just rescues us from our circumstances or from the outward power, but that our very heart would be transformed, that our identity would shift from being this, this slave to this Egyptian thing, this this world, this, this power that exists, and all of a sudden we would find ourselves, no, we're not slaves of that. We serve a, a God who has power even in the ocean, the ocean that could swallow Egypt without thinking. They were redeemed. You guys, that's why it says that God brings us to the cross. Jesus, isn't it? Because at that cross, we face probably the most terrifying thing we can think of. I mean, our life might be bad. We might have troubles here and there. We might have a job that's kind of a dead-end thing. We might have relationships. But, but at the cross, what we face is we face, this, we face death. Not just death, but a terrifying kind of a death. We face death and, and trauma and torment and, and isolation and rejection and betrayal. And we look at that. God says, I want to bring you face to face with that because I want to show you how I took the the worst thing you can think of and I am over that so that you can let go of this other thing and you can let go of this other identity that you have that somehow ties you to this other thing, to this world because I want to redeem you. I want to free you. I want to save you. So we look at the cross of Christ and when we come to this table and he says, he says, whenever we take this meal, it says that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Why? Because God has us camped out in this place, this dangerous coastline that he has us camped out on. He says, I want you to remain there so that I can shape you into my people. I can shape you into the people I intend you to be. I want, to, I want you to remain there so I can bring you through this to the other side because that's where freedom really is. So the question is, so where, where are you stuck? Wherever you are that you're stuck, God wants you to know that he he wants you to be free, but he doesn't want you to be half free. He doesn't want you to be most of the way there or just free from the circumstances. He wants you, he, he doesn't want you to just get you out of a bad relationship. Let's say you get out of a bad relationship. You might turn around and get back into a, a, another one if the thing that got you to that first one isn't changed, right? He doesn't want to save you from just that relationship. He wants to save you into a new kind of life that you can have a whole different kind of relationship. God doesn't want to just take you out of a job. You leave a job, you might find out, you know what, the problem wasn't the job. Maybe the problem was inside me because of the way that I see I think of who I am or what, what God is even wanting of me or doing in me. So God is not interested in just simply setting you free from some of your circumstances or your problems. God is interested in setting you free from your identity as a servant of and a slave of this world because he, he created you for more than that. And he has called you to be more than that. And he gave his sons so that we might be more than that. And so he sends his prophets. And man, are they irritating, right? But they keep telling us there's more. And then he, keeps, he sends us into these times that are just everything seems to go upside down and just completely chaotic in our lives. And we go, God, what are you doing? And he says, because there's more. And then he brings us down by the, the sea. He brings us down to this place of just terrible danger and, and, and these decisions that need to be made that just scare us to death. He says, why? He says, so that he cannot just, so that he will not just bring you out of this world, but so that he will bring, get the world out of you. Amen. You guys, dangerous coastlines, that's the only place that Christ has shaped in us. It's the only place that Christ has formed in us. And the dangerous coastline that he continually calls us back to is to that of the cross. To again, look at the thing that just terrifies us to say, God, bring me through it. Bring me through it then. Bring me through it so that nothing remains of Egypt in me.